day, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Be Our Guest here on Musical Theatre Radio. My name is Jean-Paul Yovanov. I am your host for the day. Now, we have a couple of wonderful people coming in and speaking to us today. Basically, what we're going to do, we're going to focus on uh, the show, The Green Room. Now, you might have heard of it. It's coming to Off-Broadway in September. I don't want to say too much because I'm going to let them say it. But I think what we're going to do is we're going to talk in three sections over the next few months. We're going to talk with the actors at some point, the creative team. But today, we have uh, the uh, – how would you describe yourselves? Um, the well let's just introduce you that'd be okay. the way to do it <laughs> all right so uh jessica start yeah. first sure i'm jessica jennings and i'm the director for the green room perfect and we're also on the line with stephen miller and i'm the artistic director and stage manager for the green room perfect thank you both for coming on today and and talking with us you're welcome thank thanks for having thank us you for having us great <laughs> So what we're going to do first is we always do a 30-second bio. So Jessica, why don't we start with you? A quick, uh, who are you? Ooh, great question. Um, I am native to New York City, I'm born and raised in Hell's Kitchen uh, to a theater family. And I uh, spent a lot of my career in dance and choreography and come, came back, continue always coming back to theater. And I've done a lot of... I've worn a lot of hats. I've <laughs> done stage work, choreographed, I've directed now. Um, so just kind of done it all. I've done some self-production. Um, I also have a small theater company of my own. So I've literally been all over the, the map with, uh, you know, my, my talents or my capacities in the theater world. But Very I'm cool. thrilled to be asked to direct a, a, the musical The Green Room. That's fantastic. Awesome. And Stephen, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, originally I was born in New Hampshire and raised in New York City, uh, partially in a theater family, uh, but uh, all of my training was in theater. Uh, started very young as an actor and singer and then progressed to directing, stage managing, and then producing, which has been very exciting and uh, uh, working alongside Jessica for the past couple of years has just been a delight, to say the very least. Uh, but, you know, just like Jessica, wearing many hats, uh, you know, through experience and here uh, producing or, you know, technically producing uh, The Green Room uh, as the artistic director. And then, of course, stage managing it as well, uh, but working with uh, Stephen Foster and uh, Chuck Pelletier, uh, the writers of The Green Room, has just been a delight and learning the whole history behind The Green Room and, you know, experiencing The Green Room, you know, from personal experience. <laughs> Perfect. You know what? Let's listen to a song from The Green Room to get the audience, you know, in the mood to get an idea of uh, what we're dealing with today. So you are listening to Be Our Guest here on Musical Theatre Radio. We're going to listen to something from The Green Room, and then we're going to come back and learn a little bit more about um, Jessica and Stephen here on Be Our Guest. We are back on Be Our Guest. It's a wonderful Saturday afternoon here on Musical Theatre Radio. I am your host, Jean-Paul Yovanoff, and we are speaking with a couple of uh, members of The Green Room. We've got the artistic director and the director, uh, Stephen Miller, the uh, 
artistic director and Jessica Jennings, the director. Jessica, uh, tell us a little bit about um, what got you into theater um, and how you got to this point now. Great. So my parents are theater people. My uh, father founded the American Theater of Actors. So I was literally thrust on stage from <laughs> the cradle. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, I did some national commercials as a kid. Um, I, I walked away from it for a long time. I decided that I would be a rebel and just dance. So um, I toured quite a bit as a little ballerina. I uh, danced at Carnegie Hall. Um, I danced, uh, I went to the Edinburgh Festival with uh, Cumberland Ballet. I danced at City Center with Fort Worth Ballet and a production of Cinderella a long, long, long time ago. <laughs> um, and I would always, and then in the summers as I became a teenager, I'd always go back to Shakespeare and summer stage with my parents. Um, I went to University of the Arts and got a BFA in dance. Uh, I was very connected to like the repertoire of uh, Martha Graham. I also have a two-year certificate from that school. Um, so eventually I came back to New York City. UArts is in Philadelphia. I was there for four years. Mm -hmm. I came back to New York. I started a dance company um, and eventually I retired. My body was really done with dance. But again, theater was always in my life. So I just continued to be on stage and act. And eventually I, I took on directing. And um, I've done a lot of choreography during that whole time. So that's kind of how I arrived at, at directing and how I, all those skills culminate and bring me to doing musical theater. Very nice. Now, I guess growing up in New York is, is a completely different beast than, uh, you know, we'll talk with Stephen in a second in New Hampshire, and I'm here in Toronto, Ontario, which is, again, a different thing. What was it like to grow up in New York with just surrounded by theater in general, I guess, and your dad, right, being a part of that? Yeah, um, well, wherever you grow up, is it always feels like the most natural thing in the world. Mm -hmm. So to me, it, it wasn't weird at all to, to be on very crowded streets and sidewalks, um, you know, to take public transportation by yourself in fifth grade, you know, it's, it's a little scary, but you just, you just do it. You're just sort of like thrown in, in a way, you sink or swim. Um, it's crowded and noisy and um, it's, it just becomes what feels like the most natural thing in the world. Like when you go somewhere that's quiet with crickets, it feels really weird. <laughs> Now, now again, I've only been to New York once. So, is there theater everywhere? <laughs> like, or like, were you in a part? Uh, you said you were in Hell's Kitchen, I believe. Yeah. Um, the only thing I know about Hell's Kitchen is Daredevil lives there. Uh, thanks to the well, Netflix. when I was growing up, I wasn't allowed to cross Ninth Avenue. Okay. But, but Hell's Kitchen's completely transformed. This is very you know tame compared to what it used to be. Well, New York City's completely transformed from the eighties. I mean, I was all over. I went to school on the Upper East Side. Um, and then, you know, eventually my, my parents moved to the East Side in Midtown. So, you know, the, the entire city becomes your playground at some point. And I think we all have had that experience, the mm -hmm. ones who grew up there, of just like, you know, one day you just kind of ride the subway to Coney Island with your friends and you're like, oh my God, what are we doing? You know, you just kind <laughs> of do something that feels a little like scandalous or rebellious, you know, because you weren't supposed to go a certain distance from home. Um, so I, I don't know if I fully answered your question or not. Okay. But, 
but is it, yeah, theaters everywhere okay. and there's musicians <laughs> all over the subway they're, they're everywhere there's street performers everywhere wow. so it is a very uh eclectic city that is very cool and and steven uh i assume new hampshire is a little different uh than uh, new york city very much so uh, <laughs> so tell us a little bit about uh, your uh how you got into theater well originally uh my it was my great aunt that got me into theater at age three because of my great love for the foray requiem uh she lived in a brownstone on the upper east side and we'd come to visit her uh and i would crawl to her apartment to listen to the foray requiem and she was a pianist and teacher at the brooklyn school of music and she immediately said to my parents you've got to get him in the theater this this is his calling he's three years old get him into theater <laughs> and for the next 20 years i was taking classes i was attending the neighborhood playhouse i took classes at uh through merkin hall uh i attended some classes through juilliard i mean it, it went on and on and on but <laughs> i was performing all through my teens and uh part of my 20s and then I did take a break uh, to, you know, just kind of regroup, you know, emotionally because it is a whirlwind experience, you know, performing and memorizing and, you know, being everywhere, you know, all at the same time. And then I came back um, in 2015 uh, when a friend of mine that I knew from uh, the 90s who had written a musical called Siren's Den and uh, she presented the script to me and I immediately, you know, took hold of it because I had lived through a lot of that experience. And, uh, you know, it, it felt so personal to me. And that's when I formed uh, Miller Kaufman Productions, who was producing The Green Room uh, in 2015, 2016, um, you know, to share the joy of theater with everyone, you know, including the specific reach to atypical students. Uh, and adults, you know, in, for mainstream outings and theatrical opportunities uh, to deeply impact the audiences in such a way through uh, cultivating empathy, fellowship for all humans uh, with a vision to make the world a kinder place through the theater because theater is just such a powerful experience to go and, you know, be with a group of people but it's so different for the actors on stage because it's such a family that you build with your, you know, directors and stage managers and, you know, music directors and writers. And, you know, it, it really is such a, a powerful experience on either side. Uh, but we just set out to produce, you know, accessible theater works with the highest level of artistry uh, with, you know, truly incredible detail to sets, costumes, props, and historical accuracy uh, that really, really brings a whole new meaning to theater because theater, no matter what type of budget you have, I mean, you could have the smallest budget, you could have the largest budget. Uh, back during my break, I was actually working as a paraeducator in special education and was handed their drama department at the middle school. And we had zero budget. <laughs> and we turned that zero budget into, you know, some fundraising and creating, you know, not quite Broadway quality theater, but 
we turned it into theater for the small town, you know, and we were doing Broadway shows, you know, in a, a shorter version, you know, the Broadway Junior Collection, but it was still having the opportunity to do that and share that, which is, you know, truly coming from my heart because it changed the lives of children, but theater changes the lives of everybody. And that's just so important to me as, you know, the, the owner of Miller Kaufman Productions or the artistic director of, uh, but that's just, you know, I want to share that with the world, which is why I, I'm selective of what I, you know, pick and choose to perform, but there's so many reasons behind it. And, you know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the true love for me in theater is the, the, fa- the close knit family experience that you get as an actor or stage manager or director, you know, and then sharing that feeling with the audience because when they walk through the door, they feel that welcoming. That, you know, what you've done, I, I was reading on your website and all the stuff you've done, and it's, it's so fantastic that you're, you're doing this and giving the opportunity to um, allow people to see the show who sometimes are marginalized and aren't able to get into the theater or, um, you know, for lack of a better term, look down when, you know, when, when the autistic kids are, you know, they do make some noise sometimes and that's perfectly fine. And putting those relaxed performances in is great. And I, and the theater company I work with, we've started doing that a couple of years ago as well. And, and I applaud you for, for doing this. So thank you for allowing accessibility to everyone for your performances. Of course. I mean, it's so important. It doesn't matter who you are. And, you know, looking back at uh, when I was working with the, you know, drama department at the school, you know, it, it, middle school is, you know, that tough age. And some of these kids, you know, mainstream or special education, you know, they're all mainstream to me, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, some really did get looked down on because they were different. They wanted to be in theater. They were not wanting to play baseball. You know, they wanted to be in the theater, building sets, costumes, you know, memorizing lines, memorizing music. And it's a great creative outlet. And theater is so important for so many reasons. But it teaches you, you know, to, to treat everybody with respect and care for others and work together as a team. I mean, sports teaches you teamwork as well, but theater is so personal you know, in, in the aspect of, you know, teamwork and family and, you know, working together to memorize your lines, you know, whether it's Shakespeare, whether it's a musical, whether it's, you know, just a, a, a comedy play, you know, it's, it's still a, a, you know, family atmosphere. And that's so important to me to be able to share. So having the opportunity to take this show and open it up to children with special needs, you know, is... Per, you know, personal to me, but it, it allows everybody to have the opportunity to share with theater and experience something that they've never experienced before, which is actually we work with a program that we donate tickets to for children that cannot afford to come to the theater because theater is so expensive. Mm-hmm. But to give them, you know, they're like $5 seats. You know, you can afford that, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> It allows, you know, the parent and the child to come and see the show for virtually nothing, you know. Yep. And that, that 
you know, gives them something that they may never have the opportunity to go see a Broadway show for hundreds and hundreds of dollars, if not more. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we're, we're a small company, but we want to change lives, you know, and that's very, very important to us, which has been wonderful working with Jessica because she, she shares the same vision that I have for theater and working together, we have really, you know, taken hold and created new adventures and you know the big adventure is the green room because we're gonna you know really open it up to more of a widespread you know community that may or may not ever have that opportunity to see the show whether they be autistic whether they just not be able to afford it you know but everybody should see theater and experience theater for sure agreed and and again that's fantastic what you're doing and i thank you and um you know, we also have all companies start small and you got to start somewhere. So good job that you've, you've been at this for how many years again? Four or uh, five? I started in 2015 was when we officially opened our doors. So you're at six years. That's a lot of businesses <laughs> don't last that long. So very congratulations on that. Thank you. So we've heard the, the, the parallel lines of the two of you, how you um, started in theater, where you're going. When did your uh, lines uh, converge and, and, you got to meet each other was it did you know each other before the green room or is that the the meeting point for the two no we met i think and steven correct me if i'm wrong but i think it was you got an invitation through somebody else and came to see a show i directed called shelter correct okay so that was 26 17 2017 two years ago yeah, I think it was two years ago. Yeah. It was a show I directed, and um, we touched base afterwards, and we traded cards, and we started coming to see each other's work. So then I went to see what he was up to, and he came back to see what I was up to. And then uh, last summer, I was directing The Cherry Orchard, and Stephen stepped in as my stage manager. Mm. And... <laughs> a wonderful, you know, partnership and collaboration has grown from there. It, it's so hard to find a good stage manager. <laughs> and when you find one, you he's, never let them go. He's phenomenal. He is phenomenal. <laughs> he's he was <laughs> this is my lifeboat. <laughs> so <laughs> I know. I yeah. When I'm directing shows, I always make sure I have a really good stage manager because without them, ugh, life's awful. <laughs> So. It's true. <laughs> it's, <I know. laughs> I'm not speaking because I am a, I, I, you know, stage manager, but even as a director, if I don't have a good stage manager, you know, it's everything falls apart because oh, for sure. <laughs> the director has so many plates spinning, you know, and they can't <laughs> keep track of everything. So having that, you know, right hand man or woman. Uh, you know, just saves the day in the long run. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Yeah, and I, I can't say for sure, but I think Stephen may have already been entertaining the green room at that time. But there were moments during our process a year ago where he would start kind of like asking me <laughs> questions. <laughs> like, huh, you know, do you, do you sing? Oh, you choreograph? Oh, you know, or like there was... <laughs> this going on with the cherry orchard that I was in adapting 
um, I, he, I, I don't know. So maybe Stephen, if you want to talk about that at all, but um, now that I think back, you may have been tilling the soil already at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was. It was uh, presented to me originally last spring uh, because I was going to stage manage a another one of Stephen Foster's shows here in New York for a festival, which unfortunately did not pan out uh, for whatever reason. Uh, but uh, I, you know, got to know Stephen and, you know, we were talking about his shows and then he said, oh, I've got this great musical. You know, he sent it to me. It sat on my desk. It sat on my desk. I didn't look at it. You know, I had so many other things going on. Yeah. And then I started listening to the music and the music just did something to me that very few musicals have really done to me. And I mean, I've seen a majority of them all, you know, around the world. <laughs> but uh, with the Green Room, I mean, I, I just started listening to it and listening to it again. And then I read the script and then I listened to the music again. And it was uh, when I was stage managing Cherry Orchard, you know, I'd put it on the loudspeaker uh, and just, you know, I'd clean the stage and I would, you know, steam the cost. That was my ritual, was to listen to Green Room, and then I started speaking to Stephen about potentially bringing it to New York City because it had never had its New York premiere, it had its Los Angeles premiere, and it's gone as far as Ireland, uh, but it never made it to New York. You know, legitimately, they did some readings in New York, and they were all sold out, and great reviews. And the more that I listened to it and the more that I read about it, I was just like, this, this is my next musical. And, you know, we signed the papers and we made it official. But yes, back uh, last summer, I was beginning to talk to Jessica and I'm like, so you direct, <laughs> you choreograph. Um, and then shortly after, you know, once everything was finalized, I went to Jessica and I said, you're the only one that I want to direct the show because you're the best. You know? <laughs> uh, and, you know, the rest was history. And ever since, you know, Jessica and I have been working diligently to get everything squared away with equity. You know, we're under an equity mini contract for off-Broadway. You know, it's legitimate off-Broadway. You know, it's such a terrifying experience, but a, a wonderful one, nonetheless. Um, but it's, it's just been so great to work with Jessica and our entire team, you know, from technical director, music director, uh, the writers, you know, just coming together as a team and then getting through casting, which is always one of the hardest things, especially in New York with thousands and thousands and thousands of submissions and having to sort through them all and break it down to about 200. <laughs> um, and then with equity, you know, coming in, we saw almost 200 you know equity people so then with this show it's a four-person cast so it's not like there's a huge chorus there's not huge dance numbers you know there is some dance numbers but it's not you know this huge broadway show-stopping dance number but there are many points in the show that it is very very show-stopping with the performances so i'm very excited to see it all come together and our cast is beautiful <laughs> very 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 impressive people so so um excuse my ignorance but uh, like off broadway and and the difference between having to um you know cast and put on a show versus you know obviously not just uh, you know putting on a show itself is there a difference um 
what is the big difference between that? The big difference really between Broadway and off-Broadway is the sheer cost, <laughs> truly. Yeah. Uh, because a Broadway show could run 20 million, whereas off-Broadway could be 100,000. Okay. Uh, it's also the theater size. Back in the day, it used to be uh, anything between 100 seats and 499 seats was accounted as off-Broadway, and then anything below 99 seats would have been off off Broadway. But with equity coming into the picture, it's now what contract you're under. Mm-hmm. And for us, because our theater, our, our, our soon to be current theater is uh, 65 seats. So it would have been accounted as an off off Broadway house. But because we are under an equity mini contract, which does anything under 99 seats, makes us off Broadway. And then once we begin progressing forward to a bigger space, it would become the off-Broadway contract. But they're basically the same, but it's about the size of the theater. And then Broadway would be anything over 500 seats. And I think the biggest Broadway house is about 2,000 seats. And there's other things that work their way into their, like, the different pay scales and stuff. But I think what happens a lot in New York City in our business is, um, there's this movement, this wave of like, uh, you know, not wanting to be labeled off, off (laughs) Broadway. So if people are in a substantial venue anywhere near Broadway, they just call themselves off Broadway, but it kind of, it diminishes what off Broadway Mm -hmm. legitimately is and means, you know what I mean? So, um, that's why I think Steven made a point to say, legitimate off-Broadway to say off-Broadway gets kind of like thrown around and abused a lot Um, when people because if you're not getting your health care and your pension you're not a legitimate off-Broadway show okay we're learning stuff I uh, so many of us who don't know any of this stuff because we're not in the area and and so thank you for the education But we're here to do. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Let's let's throw to another song. I'm going to play another song from the green room, and then I'm going to come back and uh, ask you, the two of you, um, some of the shows that you've seen that influenced you, and some of the uh, artists that influenced you over your your life. So we are speaking with uh, Stephen Miller and Jessica Jennings. Um, the director and the artistic director of the green room. So let's hear another song from the green room here on be our guest on musical theater radio. We are back here on be our guest. It's a wonderful Saturday afternoon. We are speaking with some fantastic people, uh, Stephen Miller and Jessica Jennings, uh, the artistic director and director of the green room. So Jessica, I want to ask you a question. Um, you've, you've got lots of experience in theater. Who was influential for you? What type of artists um, and shows uh, influenced you as you're growing up and your your directing or even choreograph choreographer style? Yeah, great. Um, going through the Rolodex in my brain <laughs> right now. Um, wow. Okay. You know the first Broadway show I remember seeing, and I maybe I saw something before that. I was probably four. I think it was Three Musketeers, and they had real horses. What? Um, they took a poop in the aisle. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these like huge Broadway shows with like ornate 
sets and costumes like very very full and that's that's funny because that's like juxtaposed to what my parents were doing which was like off off broadway <laughs> um minimal set minimal costume everything very contemporary so um yeah, I love seeing a Broadway show with all the bells and whistles and like period pieces. I love period pieces. I love Shakespeare. My parents actually do a lot of Shakespeare. So they do like super contemporary, all new plays. And then on the other side of the spectrum, they do big Shakespearean productions. And um, there have been times when instead of doing them contemporary dress, they've done them in historical costume. Um, so that, that bigness, that ornateness always sticks with me. Um, and of course, I grew up in the ballet. I love, and that again kind of feeds into that whole like big scale production, you know, ornate costumes mm -hmm. and tutus and everything. Mm -hmm. um, but I had so many, such a range of experiences. I mean, I was uh, also drawn toward, you know, Martha Graham and Paul Taylor and this whole contemporary dance movement. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it's, I don't know. I don't know if that paint starts to paint a picture of like everything I've seen. Um, but I guess if there was a through line in all of that, it's sort of like the, uh, if I were to say integrity, like, so whatever the work is, like seeing that it is full and complete in its ownness, like in itself, like it has integrity in itself. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and that's what I love about, Stephen Miller and his productions, <laughs> because I go to see them and it's like, it's so well thought out that, you know, his, his set, if he does something historical, like his set reflects it. Um, he makes sure the props reflect it. The costuming reflects it. Like there's integrity. There's a through line. It makes sense. There's not like something that was overlooked. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I remember seeing that when I saw, he did Blood Boundary, he did uh, Cover of Life, he did The Bell of Amherst, and there's such thoroughness in the production. It holds integrity. So I really appreciate that. Cool. Uh, any, any shows you saw uh, outside of The Three Musketeers and the Horses? really stuck I mean, I, had, I don't know. I mean, I've seen so many shows. It's, yeah. it's really hard to uh, pinpoint just one. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I love them all. I love cats <laughs> too. You know? I don't know if, um, uh, I, but, but as far as Broadway goes, I do tend to love, uh, big production stuff, you know, like Miss Saigon, Phantom mm -hmm. of the Opera. I mean, Phantom of the Opera I saw with the original cast when I was a kid. Yeah. So that certainly had a huge impact oh, on me. Sure. I think we're all that same type of time period where Phantom was kind of our gateway musical. Um, I know for myself, it was probably the, one of the first musicals that got me into it and uh, took me beyond uh, that. Um, but being in New York doesn't hurt to <laughs> be able to see some yeah. of that stuff. Yeah. Well, what about you, Stephen? Uh, any um, influences uh, artist-wise or, or shows you saw that influenced you? Well, it's funny that we're speaking about Phantom of the Opera, but that was my very first musical that I saw. I, it was the original cast. Uh, it was selling out at the time. It was the first year that it was in existence, you know, on Broadway. I was four and a half. And uh, <laughs> my mother loves to tell this story, but uh, 
we were sitting there, you know, I was a child and people next to us were just like, oh God, you brought a child to a Broadway <laughs> show. I, he better not make a sound during the show. And I never once made a sound through the entire production because I was so mesmerized by it. And that was really my influential show that just took me by surprise. And ever since then, I was, I had to be performing, you know, I, ha I was always performing, whether it was in a theater or not, but, um, you know, even at home <laughs> in the park. Um, but that was a very big one for me. Uh, you know, Les Miserables was, you know, another one that really took me by surprise, you know, a few years later because of the sheer largeness of the set and the sounds and the music and just, you know, the, the impressive work that they did to create that show and the same thing with Miss Saigon. Uh, and then as I got older, I got more into the off-Broadway world, which was not the huge budget stuff. And that was thanks to my uncle who actually wrote uh, the cover of Life uh, back in, you know, the early 90s. And, you know, he always had a dream to write a show that would be presented off-Broadway or on the, the stage in New York City before he died. Uh, and in 1994, it was picked up at the Hartford stage in Hartford, Connecticut by the Schubert organization. Nice. And it played off-Broadway at the American Place Theater. And shortly after, he passed away. So he got to live out his dream. And that was such an inspiration to me to be able to look at what he did and live out a dream and you know, <laughs> do what you love. And that's such an important line from the green room is in the end, you do what you have to do, but in the end, you do what you love. And that's something that everybody needs to do because, you know, sometimes we work these jobs that are just not enjoyable and we, we question why we're going to work every day. <laughs> so for Jessica and I, you know, I can only speak on behalf of us, but, um, we love what we do you know some days are harder than others and <laughs> a lot less enjoyable but <laughs> the outcome is the most important because then we look back and it's like we shouldn't have gone through that <laughs> but we did it because we love it and to see you know a finished product you know as you know working through shows and you know i learned that at a very very young age as to jessica but uh, having a great team makes a huge difference. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> now, is, now, is there any, Jessica, we'll go back to you for a second. Mm -hmm. uh, is there any shows that you, you wish you had seen uh, that you missed either or in the past that, you know, you, you obviously weren't alive or not old enough to see? Is there any shows that you, or, or performers you'd wish you'd seen? Wow. Oh, my God. Um, I know, on the spot, I know. Yeah, it's really on the spot. <laughs> and Stephen, you, you'll be able to think about this, which is nice. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's a list of, oh, okay. Um, like, sure, you know, um, the original cast of Hair, you know, that, like that. Um, my brother was in, he toured in Camelot <laughs> way back when, you know, uh, with the original cast. So. All I can see are photographs. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Wow. Like the one I regret kind of that I assume will never get put on again is Spider-Man. 
Uh, oh, I, I didn't see that either. So like, there you go. There's another one. Yeah, because I, I don't see any community theater for sure putting it on, um, let alone another professional theater. So, I, you know, there's certain shows I just, if you don't catch them, they're probably gone forever, except for the cast recording, which is unfortunate. But so what about you, Stephen? Uh, for me, it would be the original cast of Dreamgirls back in the 70s. Uh, I was too young, you know, at the time before it closed. But I did have the opportunity to see uh, a later version of it. Uh, but it didn't have the same impact because the original cast was just, you know, Jennifer Holliday and these actresses that never did anything before it. But took the stage by storm and changed theater for forever because <laughs> they didn't have these huge sets, but you know, they, they had minimal set, but the performances were just out of this world, you know, and, and beyond. So that would have been the show that I wish that I could have seen uh, among others, but that, that one, was you know very influential to me throughout the years of listening to music and the meaning behind the show and just the powerhouse performances <laughs> and that's what I was going for with Green Room uh, specifically with one character because it's it is the dream girls girl mm -hmm. in the Green Room so that was you know just something that I was aiming for because it was just so important you know to to theater for this one actress to walk out and bring the show you know bring the house to a standing ovation at the end of her performance for one song that you know was not the end of the show it was yeah. just <laughs> the most powerful song in the show that brought people to tears but brought people to a standing ovation and just leaving the theater with that memory you know is something that I try to do with all of my productions sometimes I succeed uh, <laughs> but that's that's my goal for uh, Green Room with this particular character is that powerhouse performance and I'm very excited because we did find someone to fill that role who has the capacity of Jennifer Holliday among others, uh, but she's just an incredible singer. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, speaking of the, the cast, uh, Jessica, tell us a little bit about uh, maybe the process and, and how you chose uh, your cast. And, um, you know, uh, I assume because it's set in college uh, time, right? They're yeah. probably a younger cast. Um, they are. Maybe a little fresher. Tell us a little bit about the process of uh, maybe the casting of these, these uh, I'll use the word. Sure. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's, it's challenging. There were some phenomenal Broadway vets who came to audition. And of course, you know, a lot of Broadway vets are, you know, older than 20. Yeah. So we, we had to make a tough decision, you know, cause we had to let people go who were phenomenal, but you know, they just, they looked 40 and we don't have the advantage of a 2000 seat theater where they're very far away and <laughs> this is an intimate theater. They're going to see if somebody yeah. looks 40, they're going to, you know, you're not going to sell them as, you know, somebody's like, you know, younger 18 year old brother. For sure. So, but we did run into that. There was a conversation. Do we cast everybody up? Do we cast everybody down? But there had to be cohesion. And that goes back to this thing I mentioned earlier about um, integrity, like within the piece itself, there had to be integrity. We can't cast 
one person who looks 18 and one person who looks 35 or 40. They're all supposed to be in college together and look the same age. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, t- tell us a little bit about the, the cast uh, itself. Um, sure. Who are they and, and a little bit about them? Great. Um, so, wow. Uh, we have, oh, I hope I don't get last names wrong. Uh, we have Ariana, we have Sammy, we have Ryan, we have Eli. Um, actually, the only cast member I've worked with before is Eli Douglas LaCroix. Hmm. And he was in my Cherry Orchard last summer. Uh, he plays Cliff. It was kind of like uh, the t- built on the, you know, Seymour kind of type of nerd, you know, Big Bang Theory <laughs> kind of nerd. He's the geeky, he's the geeky, intelligent one hmm. uh, who's the writer of the group. And uh, Eli's such a joy to work with. I have... I made a special point when I was working on the cherry orchard with him to pull him aside and just thank him for his professionalism. Uh, he is just, you know, totally on the up and up. And uh, I was, I always thought, you know, I would love to work with him again. And it makes a difference when you have people who are just full of, you know, integrity, but they're also fun and funny and um, have talent to boot. And that's him. That's him all the way. It's just a real pleasure to to have in, in a group. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I that was obviously not a musical. We did go see him. Stephen and I went to go see him in a musical. Um, and And then he auditioned and he's great. He's just the goofy kind of... <laughs> person we were looking for to do this. Um, the other three actors I haven't worked with before, but I did call references. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. Uh, and they're, I mean, they've got phenomenal voices and phenomenal references. And, uh, you know, Stephen mentioned it a couple minutes ago. I mean, Ariana has this huge voice, just like, you know, standing ovation quality voice it's it's magnanimous so uh, Stephen do you want to say anything about (laughs) the cast or I'm very excited to work with them I mean throughout the audition process as Jessica was just saying is you know a a grueling process because Mm -hmm. there's so many amazing people that we see and even through the submissions you know watching all these audition videos (laughs) Uh, Ariana actually came to us uh, as a video submission because she's on tour with a musical right now that she's been on tour with for the past two years, uh, you know, nationally. And uh, she had just submitted and I immediately saw her video and I was like, we must have her. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Which, you know, doesn't happen as often as I wish that it would. But uh, regardless, you know, she was just amazing. And she ended up coming in for an audition, um, you know, uh, as she was near New York City. So they drove in to do the audition and we adored her. And then uh, Ryan and Sammy were at the equity auditions and they literally blew us out of the water. You know, after seeing so many people, you know, you get worn down, but... Mm-hmm. They were the ones, you know, among others that really pepped us up. And we were like, you know, we must have these people you know, for the show. <laughs> and then it's that breakdown to the final four. You know, mm-hmm. We did the final eight and then it was the final four. And um, 
you know, I'm very, very excited. And uh, like Jessica, you know, I worked with Cherry Orchard and worked with Eli. And he's just such a, a wonderful person. And the character that he's playing is very Mark Cohen from Rent, which is another big musical for me that was very influential. Uh, but it's, you know, the writer of the group, you know, the one, the outcast, you know, the, <laughs> the one of fit in person that never really gets to fit in until he meets, you know, the, the theater family. And then they all become just this close knit group, you know, with a desire and a dream to make it to the off Broadway stage, not even the Broadway stage, the yeah. off Broadway stage. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. So when do re have rehearsals started yet or when do they start? Uh, they start in August, which is coming up very quickly. It'll be <laughs> the middle of August and then we will rehearse for five weeks and into productions we go and we're running for five weeks. You know, it's a very healthy run and a very exciting run. And then it's, you know, how well we get received mm -hmm. that uh, we make that decision to either move forward or, go to Broadway, you know, that's the <laughs> ultimate dream, but you know, for sure. one step at a time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Jessica, what's your process in between now and uh, time for uh, rehearsals? Because you still have a good, I know it seems like a short amount of time, but it's still a good, you know, couple of months. Uh, what, what are you doing uh, in between to prepare for the, for the, I am taking the script and reading it a lot and the music and just sort of immersing myself in it. Um, and yeah, I, I have already some ideas about um, like the first couple days of rehearsal, um, what would be the most effective starting point in the script. I'm not sure that it's necessarily linear. I don't know that we're going to start on page one. Um, because I would love the group to bond over one of the group pieces, you know, like one of those sections. Um, so yeah, it's just immersion, immersion in the material and then uh, sharing thoughts with uh, Steven and, and that's, that's what I'm going to be doing. It's, you know, <laughs> it's, it seems like a lot of time, but it's, it's not, but you not. know, <laughs> yeah. You kind of just have to you're probably chomping at the bit, just waiting to, to get it going and, and and Yeah, yeah. I mean it's I don't know, it's always like that. You kind of immerse yourself. I I, I don't have a like a, a practice that I religiously do. Mm -hmm. I find that every script, every show has its own need. And so you kind of have to just be with the material pull on all your, you know, lessons and all your resources and then kind of feel out what approach you want to take. Uh, there's no right way mm -hmm. exactly, you know, and I've never done the same thing twice in terms of like, this is the right technique or process or the right way to, you know, to approach the play. There's, it's always, it's always a little different because every story's, every book is unique. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, every book, every story, and then all the actors, what they bring to it, right? So it's kind of organic, and you got to go with the flow. Right, and this one in particular, you know, you don't have, like, the lead and everyone else. I mean, it's, it's four actors, four characters, equal weight in the script. It's a real ensemble piece, which dictates, you know, how we 
start rehearsal and how we go through the process. Very cool. Uh, Stephen, um, you know, as the artistic director and, and the, the production company itself, what kind of uh, stumbling blocks have you um, come across or things that you just went, ugh, or, and things like that? Tell us about that process of uh, getting it onto the stage and, and beyond. Well, the process, you know, begins with, you know, getting the idea, of course, uh, but then it's, you know, contracts and a lot of signing and a lot of <laughs> paperwork that just goes on forever. But, uh, you know, it's getting equity to accept us and, you know, paying the dues and, you know, finding the money uh, and then progressing to where we are now is a lot of press-based stuff and getting the name of the show out there. I mean, it's a, a semi-well-known show from its productions in Los Angeles, but uh, also across the country, you know, some schools have done it. And then it took the trip to Ireland twice. Uh, and then some readings that were done in New York uh, a few years ago, which was amazing to hear about and learn about and see how well it was received. So I'm very excited in that aspect. Uh, but, you know, the press, is always the hardest because you know if you're coming in as an unknown show to New York um, and you know we don't have you know superstars in the role I mean we do have superstars in the role but yes. uh, in in name wise you know sometimes that can be very troublesome for my my department um, but you know it's just building the buzz and you know just getting the word out there about the show and having a team that is, you know, very influential in um, the New York scene. And a lot of the actors are pretty well known in New York and beyond. So that is very helpful to us, but the hardest is always the paperwork, you know, <laughs> crossing, <laughs> dotting the I's and crossing the T's and making sure everything is the way that it's supposed to be. And that can be definitely one of the hardest things to deal with. In, in my shoes um, and then oh go ahead oh I was gonna say for, for any um, any future producers listening um, is there any uh, pitfalls you would say avoid or anything like that that you can uh, words of wisdom because you're on your your seventh show uh, produced I believe or is it I'm trying to uh, six six Seven. I can't remember. <laughs> like um, Sixth production and second musical. I'm reading. I'm yes, reading right yes. from the website. So yes. Um, the big thing is that I, the best advice that I can give is make sure your team is the correct team. I, you know, I'm not gonna point fingers. I'm not gonna say anything. But I have worked with people in the past that have been very troublesome after the fact, you know, after everybody's hired and ready to go, mm -hmm. you, you know, they, they present themselves to be lovely, amazing people. <laughs> and they probably are, but when it becomes in the business side of things, it can be very, very troublesome, which is why I'm so thankful for the team that I'm working with now, because we may have our moments, but we always come back you know, we, we bounce back and that has been, you know, the best team that I could ask for. And, you know, just make sure that you're doing the correct things, but make sure that you're having fun with it. 
It's not about the stress. It's not about the anger. It's about loving what you're doing versus looking at the opposite side of that because it, it can really bring you down. And this, this business, you know, in producing or, or being artistic director for something is not an easy job in any way, shape or form because there's so many things going on and so many different hats that you have to wear. Uh, and not everybody is familiar with it on your team, but having a team that respects what you're doing it makes it easier, you know, because you're doing what you have to do and it's not an easy job. And I'm not going to say any aspect of this business is easy, like everything else in life. But when you love what you're doing and you love the people that you're working with, it can be the most beneficial aspect of this industry as a producer or an artistic director or anyone in that caliber because there, you know there's there's things that are going to pop up that will bring you down and you don't want to go too far down because who knows where you'll end up <laughs> but just moving forward don't look back you know do, do something and do it because you want to do it don't do something because you have to do something but the best advice that I have ever been given is take the opportunity because in the long run, you don't want to be 70 years old and look back and be like, why didn't I do that? I should have done it when I had the opportunity. And that's, that's my goal personally, but that's my goal to share with the world is don't look back and wonder why, why didn't I do this? Instead, take the opportunity, do it. You can always look back and laugh at it. You know, there are certain there are certain things that we do that were probably not the smartest thing, but we did it. Yeah, <laughs> and we learned from it. You know? <laughs> uh, well, that's my best advice: is just don't miss an opportunity because you're afraid. Do it because who knows? You may love it, you may hate it, but more or less you're going to find out that you love it and you can say in 20 years time i did it i had that experience yeah and those are great words of wisdom <laughs> thank you <laughs> so you know what? we we're gonna throw to one more song from the green room and then we're gonna come back with our final segment uh which will include the five questions i ask every interview five specific questions and there's no right or wrong answers to them but there are wrong answers just to give you <laughs> so all right you are listening to be our guest here on musical theater radio my name is jean paul Jovanoff, your host for this episode and let's listen to one more song from the green room all right it is another episode of be our guest this saturday afternoon my name is jean paul yovanoff i am your host and we have been talking for the last little while with uh, Stephen miller and jessica jennings the artistic director and director of the off broadway show the green room thank you the two of you for coming on and, and talking about the show and telling us a little bit about yourselves thank you thank you uh, no problem. Um, I, the nice thing is um, the green room has been a big supporter of ours since we first came up with the idea and we launched about two and a half months ago. And 
they've the green room the the website and especially uh, Stephen Foster he's been a fantastic um, supporter of ours and and that's why I'd love to support you guys as well because I started this radio station because I wanted to not just listen to musicals because <laughs> I want to just listen to that all day, but I also wanted to help new musicals. I understood when I put on my show uh, a while ago, the difficulty of getting heard and getting known. And I wanted to do that for other shows that just, they should reach an audience and they just haven't yet. So I wanted to help you uh, and, and the show grow and get known. So uh, thank you for uh, letting me, you know, support you which is a weird thing to thank, say. You. thank you for the <laughs> <laughs> so tell us uh, the show you said is going up when uh the show will open its doors officially on september 27th we will have two preview performances uh the 25th and 26th of september uh it will be at the serene sergeant theater in the uh American theaters, theater of actors, uh, started by Jessica's father, James Jennings. And you run for how long? We will run for five weeks. It'll be Wednesday through Saturday at 8 p.m., Saturday matinee at 2, and Sunday matinee at 3. Okay, perfect. And uh, are they able to buy tickets yet? Uh, Tickets go on sale July 15th at 8 a.m., such a wonderful time. (laughs) (laughs) They will be available through uh, smartticks.com. We will also be on Today Ticks, TDF, uh, and possibly more outlets from there, but that's that's as far as we've gotten. But uh, they will go on sale July 15th. That's awesome. And we will be uh, promoting that on all our social media feeds, our Facebook, our Twitter, and, and everybody will definitely know how to uh, purchase these tickets. So don't worry about that part. We got that covered about spreading the word. Um, so, so again, it is time for the five questions. So this is, uh, it can be a lightning round. It never turns into a lightning round because we always talk about the questions and the answers, but just off the top of your head, just answer. Uh, like I said before, no right or wrong answers, but definitely one wrong answer. <laughs> one, of them, one of them has, it's, it's been consistently one answer and I've agreed with them. But the other ones are kind of opinions, but uh, it's up to you. All right. So question number one, Sondheim or Weber? That's tough. Oh, no. <laughs> For me, I, I would have to go with Weber. Only because he's been my, you know, that was my start. I know, Phantom of the Opera. I got to go with Weber. (laughs) And and the nice thing about this question, it's always split. It's always split because it's people like a little bit of both, but yeah, it's it's not an easy one. That's why I asked it. (laughs) So that's okay. I I did interview a guy uh, about three weeks ago who knew Andrew Lloyd Weber, and he and he chose Sondheim. <laughs> but, he, but, he, but what he said was that, um, you know, when Andrew gets it, he gets it. So mm-hmm. it, it's, you know, but that's true of anybody. So, all right. So again, no right or wrong answer, but two Webbers. Interesting. All right. Here's a, I don't know if you've seen these two shows, but we'll see. Uh, Hamilton or Come From Away? I... I have to say I haven't seen them yet. I'm going to have to go to like Colorado to see Hamilton. (laughs) No, I probably just have to clear my schedule and like do the lottery. Um, (laughs) You can come up to Toronto. It's coming here next year. Is it? Yeah. 
it's part of our package up here. So, um, but they sat, I mean, they're, there's, I'm, they're both phenomenal, right? I, mean, I know, but so completely different. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Steven, you, you have an um, answer? As much as I want to say, I have not seen either one. Okay. <laughs> I've personally heard more about Come From Away versus Hamilton. Okay. Uh, you know, from various productions. I know that it's playing the West End right now. Yes. Um, but... You know, I, I, again, like you just said, they're so vastly different. You know, it would be hard to choose one versus the other, especially without seeing them. Yes. Um, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll cut you a pass on this one. Okay. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, there's not much you can do, right? <laughs> okay, I haven't seen Hamilton yet either, so I can't give a full answer. But I'm just curious, because down in New York, I thought maybe you'd seen them, but. Everything costs money down there, right? So <laughs> go see all the shows and, and just getting into Hamilton alone. Okay. Uh, next question. Jukebox musicals, good or bad? Oh. That's a tough one. And that, and I mean, that, there's nothing bad about it. There's not, you know, like, mm -hmm. ultimately, there's nothing bad about it. They're not always the best. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think with that one, like, beautiful, the Carol King musical, I think was done in such a way that it is, I don't want to say acceptable, but it's more thought-provoking versus some of the other ones. I mean, there's the Cher show, there's the Temptations. There was Motown, um, there was... You know, was. I, I love all of the, you know, I love all the music that's in these jukebox musicals, but... It's the book for me versus the music because I will listen to the music and love the show for the music, but it's the book for me. And I think with uh, Beautiful, it has such a strong book, which is why it has succeeded as long as it has and national tours and international tours uh, being done versus some of the others that have a three, six, nine month run. And that's the last time we'll hear of it. <laughs> Uh, so, but truly, there's nothing wrong with them. You know, they're they're meant for enjoyment versus going to see Phantom of the Opera that'll make you really think and leave the theater still thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, not just for the music, but the book. You know, is just phenomenal. But but what about shows like uh, Jacques Brel's Alive and Well or um, Smokey Joe's Cafe, where it's just song after song? Now yeah. that's a jukebox, but it doesn't have a book. I, I, I just throw that out there. No, again, no right or wrong, but. No. And like Smokey Joe's cafe, I absolutely adore that show because of the music, yeah. you know, and that's what sells the show is the music much like many of them. Uh, but when you go into, you know, there's, there's the music, um, there's one show, it's not really a jukebox musical, but it's, it's a musical with straight up nothing but musical or music is mm. uh, songs for a new world yes that has been very very influential to me because of the storyline and you know the the past with the show i mean it was never well received because it was just music and not one of the songs tied into the next song it, every song was different each mm. song had a story to tell so musicals like that you know, really can succeed. It's just dependent on how you put it together and how it comes together. I had seen a musical a few years ago, um, 
it was like a 60s based musical and it was all music from the 60s but it was so poorly put together and I don't want to mention the name because <laughs> but uh it, the music was great and it the choreography was interesting but there was no story to it mm -hmm. you know with all of that you know it, which is fine but it just didn't carry the way that it could have been done and it had a very very short run uh i don't even know if it was on broadway but so i mean it's really a hit or miss yeah. with those and jacques brel i mean just is amazing <laughs> you know? uh, so i would never never question that area <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, no right or wrong. Just you know, it's it's interesting to bring out other opinions and and what they think. So that's why I throw these out here. All right, uh, question number four: uh, Musicals from movies, good or lazy? Oh, <laughs> that's always the answer. That's always the first thing. Oh, um. <laughs> <laughs> Well, for one of them, you know, I grew up with uh, a great love for John Waters, and I'm actually in the process of reading his new book. Uh, but he talks about Hairspray, which was done as a dance movie. And he, yes. he emphasized that it was a dance movie, you know, and uh, then it was turned into the Broadway hit, you know, several years ago. And that worked beautifully because they didn't, take the, I mean, it was the original story, but it was so changed, you know, for the musical. So that was very successful in my opinion for that. And the other one would be Little Shop of Horrors. Of course. You know, it's mm -hmm. very, very close to the original movie, but it's so different. Yeah. And I think if we think like all the, the Disney stuff, you know what, I just kind of put it in the category of like, it's it's safe for producers yeah and you know and they they get some wonderful things out there and it introduces a lot of people to theater who wouldn't necessarily think of coming to theater if you didn't have big productions like you know disney and aladdin like beauty and the beast like there's it draws people to stage who would otherwise not think of coming like we talk about preteens and teenagers so I'm for it, you know? It's, Absolutely, me too. Not? For sure, yeah. It, the thing, it's a double-edged sword, right? It yeah, gets everybody out because I know this, this, I know Pretty Woman, I know Back to the Future that she's coming out, and I know all these shows, but the double-edged sword is that is all they know, and, you know, you know they don't I, I do, necessarily do. delve deeper. So, it, yeah, and it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not easy to answer, so... Cool. All right. So one more question. This is the important one. Now I'm, I'm really curious about your answer, Stephen. This is. <laughs> well, you'll, you'll understand in, in a second, the context. All right. Question is food in the theater. Yes or no. No. Definitely a no. Definitely a no. I, I don't mind. I don't mind beverages because those can be cleaned up easily. Uh, food is one of those things that can get into the nooks and crevices and it brings in unwanted guests. <laughs> we'll go that way. Uh, the only time that I would find it acceptable would be what we're trying to do with the 
you know, autism friendly for sure. Yeah. Because they, you know, the children or adults or whomever it is that's coming may need that. So that's acceptable to that, you know, level of. <laughs> But it's a definite no for me any other time. It's funny, Jessica, your answer was exactly what everybody I've talked to is like, no. <laughs> like, I mean, unless I, we're doing, you know, outdoor stage. Oh, yeah. yeah that's a different story. Yeah. <laughs> experience, you know, throw tomatoes at that. I don't know. Shakespearean <laughs> times. It's not a movie. Like, it's just not a movie theater. Yeah. Yep. And it should totally be treated agree. differently. And you both had the correct answer, by the way. So it's always good to know. <laughs> well, the reason is for Steve and I asked you, because as a producer, it's a moneymaker, right? It is. So, so it's, you have to walk that fine line of, uh, yeah, it's live people on stage. Do not crunch in front of them or open your candy, but I can make a few extra bucks. So it's true, but you know, you, you looking at the aspect, yes, I would love to make more money. However, <laughs> As an, a long-time audience member, I have sat by people that, you know, bring their bag of chips. <laughs> it is, and all you hear is that crinkle of the bag throughout the entire production yeah. where your main focus should be on the stage. Instead, you're staring at the person next to you, <laughs> opening candies and opening bags of chips or whatever, whatever it may be. So, yeah, that it is a very fine line in that aspect of things, unless if they are respectful and open it before the production begins, mm -hmm. which, again, is, you know, the cell phone issue. <laughs> it's yeah. the same with the food issue. <laughs> you know, it's a definite no, because, you know, yes, money is great, but... You know, the, the quality of the production is so much more important as, you know, as an audience member, as an actor, <laughs> as a producer, <laughs> uh, because the focus is the show, not someone's food being <laughs> also for the, the little bit that you can see from the stage, you know, with all the lights shining in your face, you know, seeing someone chomping on something is very distracting <laughs> in the front row. <laughs> and especially in the, your show, 60 seats, you're going to see everything. Right? See everything. <laughs> so, so, yeah, no food in your show, right? No, please. All right. <laughs> all right. And that is the five questions. I hope they were painless. <laughs> Except for the last they one. Were. They were. Cool. <laughs> Although I will say this, Stephen and I went to an immersive show last year mm -hmm. and uh, I was in like the hot seat where I got to have drinks. I don't even know oh. how they pulled that off. I got like a shot. <laughs> immersive. I'm like, I thought it was going to be water and it was like real whiskey. Wow. Like, how do they get away with this? <laughs> you know, there's, I guess there's always an exception, you know, because there's all these people are pushing boundaries and envelopes. Yeah. You know? So an immersive theater experience is a totally new category where you can <laughs> do new things, I, I guess. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Well, I want to thank the two of you for uh, spending some time with me today. Um, talking about the green room and yourselves and and uh, break a leg with everything with the show in, in a couple of months. Um, I'm going to try and come down in early October. Uh, I haven't been in New York in like 15 years, so I'm going to try and come down, see your show and a few others um, because it's time. It's time to go meet the people that I've been talking with and communicating <laughs> with this whole time. So, excuse me. 
I want to thank uh, Stephen Miller, the artistic director, and uh, Jessica Jennings, the director of The Green Room. Uh, congratulations on the show, and I look forward to maybe meeting you in person at some point. I look forward to it. Definitely come. Let me know, and we will arrange it. Awesome. All right. You have been listening to Be Our Guest this Saturday afternoon on Musical Theater Radio. I am your host, Jean-Paul Yovanoff, and I hope you'll all tune in next week as we talk to a new guest or guests about musical theater and their love of it. Stay tuned for more great music throughout the day. Stay on 9 o'clock, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we have the Saturday night party where you can dance and sing the night away. Have a great rest of the day, everyone. And we'll see you next week. We love supporting and promoting the creators of musical theater throughout the world. And we would love to have your support as well. Go to musicaltheaterradio.com and click on the Become a Patron button because a supportive community is a strong community.